Welcome to Spiritual Mythbusters. I'm your host, Paul Graves, and this is the place where we always share what we value as truth and promise to always share it in love. This podcast is an outreach of Bible to Life Ministry located in Northeast Florida. So if you enjoy what you hear, visit us at BibleToLife.net. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot net and click on resources to view our BTL Kingdom blog, sermons, and bookstore. Now put on your spiritual thinking caps and let's dive into another episode. Welcome back to Spiritual Mythbusters. Once again, as always, I am your host, Paul Graves, and I can guarantee you that today's episode is going to do what we always desire it will do, and that is to challenge, encourage, and inspire every believer or non-believer who listens to this podcast. Today's episode is titled, God's Pursuing Love for Humanity. Now, this is a message that I shared a while back at a ministry in South Africa, And I just felt the Spirit of God wanting me to share that today during this podcast. So I ask you to listen to this word, receive it into your hearts, and I pray that this message bless you, the listener, as much as it blessed me with the ability to share it. What is the Old Testament? The Old Testament represents the covenantal journey of God's pursuing love for humanity. You see, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, God has pursued man from the very beginning. God has continued to pursue man. The love of God pushed him to pursue man from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. God is still pursuing man in a new covenant. Through Christ on the cross, he pursues humanity. Through us, as the many sons born after Christ, he continues to pursue man by giving us the message of reconciliation. You see, the heart of God has always been for man. God's heart has always been to extend the reign, the rule, and the authority of Christ the King in heaven on earth. The Word of God says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the kingdom of God is not a place. It's an administration. It's a government. It's the reign, the rule, and the authority of Christ the King. So the will of God is to take the governance of Christ Jesus and bring it to earth. So the knowledge of God's glory, same as in heaven, will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This earth doesn't belong to the enemy. This earth belongs to me. This earth doesn't belong to the enemy. This earth belongs to you. The Word of God says in Psalms 115, He says the earth He has created and the heavens He has created, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. Listen. God is not in control. Listen to me. I can show you in Scripture. God is not in control. If God is in control, then that's absolute sovereignty. And what that means is that means He's in control of the good, but if He's in control of the good, then He must be in control of the bad. Whoops! I dropped that on the ground and and, and the bat came off of it. God knew that was going to happen. He's absolute sovereign. He knows everything that's going to happen. Whoop, Paul just hit that pulpit. God already knew Paul was going to do that. So could God have stopped Paul from hitting the pulpit? Could God have stopped Paul from dropping his thing on the floor and the back coming off that could have broke it? See, absolute sovereignty teaches you that God is in complete control of all things. 
everything that happens happens by the will of God and you can do nothing to change it. That's Calvinism. And so when we say God is in control, then that means when a woman is being raped on the streets, God is in control. When a child is being molested, God is in control. Well, bless God, He's in control. He knows what's best. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Let me tell you something. That is, oh, that's devilish to teach that. His ways is my way. His thoughts are my thoughts. Read those scriptures in Isaiah and read them in context. And what you will find is he was speaking to the heathens. And he was saying his thoughts are not the thoughts of the heathens. His ways are not the ways of the heathens. Though as his ways are higher, the heathens' ways are not higher. They're natural and they're carnal. But our thoughts are not natural and carnal. God tells you to know no man but know him by the Spirit. As high as the heaven is from the earth, so is His ways from our ways. Of course it is for those who are not born again. But to those who are born again, He has given the mind of Christ. The ability, ooh, eye had not seen, ear had not heard, nor enter into the mind of man that which God has prepared for those who love Him. Well, you know, brother, God just works in mysterious ways. No, He doesn't. God does not work in mysterious ways, and you cannot show it to me in Scripture. That's your humanistic theology because of a misunderstanding of the Scriptures of God because we don't read them in context. He doesn't work in mysterious ways. But do you work in mysterious ways for your children? Your your, your 8-year-old daughter or your 12-year-old son or your 21-year-old son, are you working in mysterious ways or can they know the will of their father? Do you hide things from them purposely to make them seek it out? God's not hiding from you. You don't have to find him behind a bush somewhere. You don't have to seek him while he can be found. He's already been found. He lives on the inside of you and you live in him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're not waiting for him. We're not looking for him. He's not hiding from us, playing peekaboo, hide and go seek somewhere. Wonder where God is. You know those little books, Where's Waldo? You got kids looking for Waldo. Well, where's God? We're 50, 60 year old Christians. Where's God? I thought I saw him the other day, but I don't know where he is now. Where's he at? Listen, we have to know what we believe. The question is this, do you know what you believe or do you simply believe what others know? The majority of us simply believe what we've been taught by somebody else. Your view on water baptism is because someone told you what to believe on water baptism. Your view on laying hands on the sick is because someone told you what the view was on laying hands of the sick. Your view on atonement, the atonement theory of Christ from his natural sufferings to his death to his resurrection, I mean his dissension, his resurrection is because someone told you that. Most of us, the majority of what we believe is not because we really believe it because we studied it out. It's because someone told us what to believe. And because we believe in that person that told us, and because it was our mother or our daddy or our grandpappy or someone that we really respected, certainly they wouldn't lead us astray. It must be true. Now we're ready to die for a lie. The purpose in these courses here at Bible to Life Ministries launch is so that we can shake up tradition religion and the doctrines of man so we can institute the truth of God's word not by telling you what to believe but arming you with the tools to read the scriptures for yourself so you can gather a revelation and an understanding of what God is trying to say 
God speaks every single day to every single person. The question is, do you have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying and do you have a courageous heart to respond? It's not enough to be word-based if you don't do anything with the Word. Well, I'm just waiting on God. Look, if you're waiting on God to do something through you in 2016, you're going to wait forever. Listen to me. If you're waiting on God to move on your behalf, you're going to wait forever. God moved 2,000 years ago when His Son, as a sacrifice, died for all humanity on the cross, shed His blood and died, and then took the Spirit of the Almighty God and poured it out that cries, Abba, Father, and poured it out into all flesh. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You are the sons and the daughters of the Almighty God. It's such a cliche nowadays. I'm a son of God. I'm brother, I'm a daughter of God. Blessed be in the kingdom of God. Do you even know what that means? That means you can lay hands on a man's foot that's hurt and say in the name of Jesus, pain, go! And he never hurts again. You can look at a person in the spirit and see that a spirit of infliction or infirmity is all over them. And you lay hands on them and you say, and you command that thing to go, and it goes. You can take someone that's about to commit suicide and you can walk up and say, the Lord just showed me a word of knowledge. You're about to commit suicide, but there's a greater way than you've ever seen before. There's a greater God than you've ever believed than the Hindu God that you've been believing in. There's a God called Jesus Christ. He is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There's no other God above Him or below Him. He is the God of all. He's the Rafa. He's the God who heals. Where's the passion for the truth of God's Word? Old Testament, not bad. Old Testament, relevant today. Oh, but Paul, we're living in a new and better covenant with better promises. We're living in the New Testament. Can't we just throw away the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and do away with all that? Half truth. Paul says, throw out the bond servant and her son. Throw out the law. Throw out the Ten Commandments. Listen to me before you stone me. Listen to me. Throw out the Ten Commandments written on stone and the 613 laws that imply you have to follow them in order to be righteous. But you adhere to the Messianic promises in an Old Testament and you see Christ. You see Christ in an Old Testament. You see Christ in a New Testament. In the Old Testament, what you see is men and women of God, prophetic men and women of God that were declaring and declaring and declaring shadows and through types. They were declaring the Christ to come. They were declaring the Messiah. The covenant God made with, with David was a covenant saying the Messiah is coming. The covenant God made with Abraham was a covenant saying the Messiah is coming. Abraham, through you, your seed, not seeds, but your seed. Many nations will be blessed. David, through your seed, many nations will be blessed. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, And your seed. God says in between the enemy's seed and the woman's seed, he would create enmity, hostility. But the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And all the serpent would do was bruise his heel. How do you think the head is crushed? It was crushed on Calvary. 
Scripture says that Satan was made a spectacle of. Who do you think we serve? What kind of a God do we serve? We serve a mighty God. Jesus may be weak, but it doesn't mean he's weak. Do you know what meek means? Meek means power and control. Come on, we all, the meek shall inherit the earth. Why? Because we walk with a power and control. Thank God for the Old Testament. Thank God for the Messianic promises in Psalm. Thank God for the, the, the prophecies of the Messiah in Isaiah. Thank God for the prophecies of the Messiah in Jeremiah. Thank God for the prophecies of the, of the Messiah in Daniel. If it wasn't for the Old Testament, we would never be able to validate the New Testament. See, the Word of God says faith come by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Faith come by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. So what does that mean? As we read the Word of God, so we gain or gather or receive or understand what it means to walk in faith or we believe. So the way, the way this works is we, we move all the way through an Old Testament and we hear about the declarations of who Christ is, who Christ will be. And then we get over to the New Testament and we see with our eyes. And we're able to say, wow, Jesus was born a virgin birth. But we come back here to Isaiah chapter 9 tells us he would be born of a virgin. Wait a minute. Here in Luke, Jesus resurrected and at the right hand of the Father ascended. Back here in Daniel chapter 2, it says that he ascended up to the ancient of days and to the increase of his... Wait a minute. In this book and in that book, and then it's fulfilled in the New Testament. You see, the whole Word of God is for correction, instruction, reproof, and training up in righteousness. The whole Word of God. Don't throw the baby out with the dirty bath water. Woo! You say there's dirty bath water in the Word of God? Yes, it's called the law. The law. The law is not good. It was a, a covenant of do's and don'ts. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Smacked on the head. It was a covenant whew, of blessings, but also cursings. It was a covenant you had to work to receive. And if you were good enough, then you could maintain. It was works. Do you know that the Old Testament is a covenantal journey of God's love and passion pursuing the humanity of man ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden? That's what it is. It's a covenantal journey of God's Pursuing love. God has pursued you through the ages. Oh, but what about God's wrath? What about God's judgment? What about God's justice? What about those times where we hear that God did this in the Old Covenant and God did this in the Old Covenant and then we hear He's a good and loving God? Well, why would He do that? See, the Word is covenant. If we enter into a covenant, that means we enter into a binding agreement. And that means that we are both participators and recipients of that covenant. And depending on what the covenant is, one may have to uphold the covenant, which means if the other breaks it, there's penalty. See, Jesus was the judge and the recipient of the old covenant, of the Mosaic law that he established because Israel cried out for a law with Israel and Moses. Did you know that in the Noahic covenant, God initiated a covenant with Noah? Noah didn't ask for the covenant. God initiated it. 
The next covenant after the Noah covenant would be the Abrahamic covenant. Did Abraham ask for a covenant with God? No. Now let me back up. Noah didn't ask for the covenant. And were there any requirements on Noah in order to fulfill the covenant God made with him? The rainbow was a symbol of the covenant that said he would never flood the earth again. Was there any requirements from Noah? Absolutely not. Did Noah initiate the covenant? Absolutely not. God did. It was a perfect covenant. Then you go next, and you see the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham did not initiate the covenant with God. God initiated the covenant with Abraham. And there were no requirements to the covenant that God made with Abraham that said his seed, from his seed, all the nations would be blessed. Well, yes, but Paul, but what if he didn't kill Isaac? Would would he not have fulfilled the covenant? God already entered into covenant with Abraham before he asked him to take Isaac up to the mountain. Whether Abraham sacrificed Isaac or told God, no way, you're crazy, it wouldn't have changed the covenant because it wasn't a requirement of the covenant. All God was doing was proving to Abraham that he was not like all other gods that required when entering the covenant your firstborn child's life. And God wanted to show him, I'm not like these other gods out there. I will not require your son's life. So the first covenant, the Noahic covenant, it was initiated by God and there was no requirement. The second covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, it was initiated by God and there was no requirement. But what about the Mosaic covenant? That's the next one. What about the Mosaic covenant, Paul? Listen, it was not the will of God. And we're going to teach extensively in the next four months on each one of these covenants. So Paul, what about the, what about the Mosaic covenant? It was never God's will to give them the Mosaic covenant. It was not the heart of God. God did not initiate the Mosaic covenant. Well, Paul, what are you talking about? He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He did give Moses the Ten Commandments. But prior to doing that, God told Moses to tell Israel that he wanted Israel to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God wanted to have individual communication in relationship with every single person of Israel in an Old Testament. What would that have looked like? I don't know because we never got a chance to find out. But go read Deuteronomy. What did they say? God gave them specific orders. And this morning, I want you to come to the foot of the mount. And when the cloud lifts, I want you to come up and co-inhabit with me. See, God didn't want just Moses to go up. He wanted everybody to go up the mountain. But when they came to the mountain on the eve of that morning and the cloud lifted and the thunder and the lightning was going, they were scared, Scripture says. And they said, Moses, you go up. You ask God, what are the laws of the commandments? And we will follow whatever He says. It was not God's will to grant them the Mosaic law. It was God's will, like the first two covenants, to initiate a covenant with no requirements. But it was the children of Israel, because of what they saw in Egypt and the covenants they were used to witnessing, that cried out for the law. So God says, you want the law, I'll give you the law. But when I give you the law, what that means is that I'm the recipient of this. All right, you're on one side. I'm on the other. But what it also means is that I will be the judge. When you read about covenants in the old ancient Near East, and what happens whenever you would enter into a covenant, there would always be two of the, the covenantal agreements. That's why when Moses came down from the mount, he had two copies of the same. Whenever you entered into covenant, both parties of the covenant would take a copy. And they would take it and they would put that copy in the temple of their God. And it was their God's responsibility to uphold 
that covenant. And if the covenant was broken, it was that God's responsibility to enforce penalty for the broken covenant. So since God was both the recipient and the judge with Israel, He was both the recipient with them, but He was also the God that had to judge Israel if Israel broke the covenant. Now, we're going to go into a lot of detail with this. So a lot of people say, well, he killed people. He murdered people. Listen, he didn't kill or murder anybody. What he did was he upheld the law. Israel cried out for a law. God gave him a law. Israel cried out for rules. God gave him rules. With those rules, if you obey the rules, you get good. You're blessed. If you disobey the rules, guess what? You're cursed. That was the law. And... And in the beginning, he only gave them the Ten Commandments. Prior to going into the Promised Land, they only had the Ten Commandments. It wasn't until Moses passed away and Joshua became the successor that God downgraded the covenant to a vassal covenant and added 613 laws to the Ten Commandments. Why? Because Israel made a complete and utter failure of the Ten Commandments. Every time they turned around, they were breaking the Ten Commandments. Every time they turned around, they were in idolatry. Every time they turned around, they were laughing in the face of God. Every time they turned around, they turned around, they turned around. All God did was enforce what He was bound to because of a covenant that Israel wanted. It was never God's will. And then we look at the the fourth covenant in the Old Testament. This is the covenantal journey of God's love. All the way through, what did God say to Noah? Never again will I destroy the earth. And what did God say to Noah? Be fruitful, multiply. Never again will I destroy the earth with fire. I'll give you a rainbow as a symbol. Then came Abraham. Abraham, your seed, by your seed, and we find out in Galatians that seed is not seeds as in plural, but seed as in singular, which is Christ. By the seed that will come, Abraham, all nations will be blessed. You see the love of God? Be fruitful and multiply. The seed of Christ will come and all nations will be blessed. And then we got Israel coming here and make a muck of it. But even in the midst of Israel's mistake, God allowed a type and shadow of Christ to come. It was the atoning lamb or the atoning goat. Once a year, there was an atonement for the sins of Israel where two goats were killed. One goat's throat was slit and the blood was taken from the goat and put on the priest's hands and taken into the Holy of Holies and put on the Ark of the Covenant. And then as the priest came out, he took the blood that was on his hands and he wiped it on the other goat, which was the escape goat, and he sent it out in the wilderness to be devoured by wolves. Even in that, and if you read Scripture, Scripture talks about how he is our Passover lamb, how he is our atoning sacrifice. What did the lamb do in Israel's day? It atoned for their sins. It was just a temporal atoning. It wasn't a permanent atoning. Jesus came to permanently atone once and for all for our sins, putting an end to sin and to death once and for all. So the fourth covenant went back to the original. In the midst of a Mosaic covenant, God comes to David, the man after God's own heart. He says, David, I'll make a covenant with you. And your seed... David, your seed will sit upon the throne, my throne forever. That's why in Matthew chapter 1, 
it recognizes Jesus Christ. The very first verse recognizes him as the son of Abraham and the son of David because the seed that God prophesied in the Abrahamic covenant and the seed that God prophesied to David in the midst of the, of the Mosaic covenant came to pass with the birth of Christ. He was the fulfillment of both the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. Those covenants have been fulfilled through Christ Jesus. But even in the one, the fourth, with David, the Davidic covenant, God initiated that with David. David didn't initiate that with God. And did you know there were no requirements of David to fulfill in order for that covenant to come to pass? No requirements whatsoever. I've spoken to people that say throw out the Old Testament. If you throw out the Old Testament, you throw out our history. You throw out the covenantal journey of God's pursuing love for man. If you throw out the Old Testament, then you're throwing the baby out with the dirty bathwater. Look, like I said, throw out the Old Covenant. Scripture says to do that. Throw out the bondservant and her son. But don't throw out the history of the Messianic promises. The joy of God, the love of God, the pursuedness of God all the way through mankind. Listen, the Word of God says that faith comes by hearing, and that is hearing the good news about Christ. You can see Christ in an Old Covenant, I mean in an Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is full of Christ. That's all they did was prophesy of the Messiah to come. And we're going to talk about that. You see, the Old Testament inspires faith and is still valid in the life of New Covenant believers today. Still very much valid. Listen to this. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You'll find that in the Old Testament. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. That's in the Old Testament. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. That's in the Old Testament. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. Old Testament. You are blessed coming in. You are blessed going out. Old Testament. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the marketplaces. Old Testament. If faith come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God or the words of Christ, then as we read the Word of God, what's the Word say? John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word... The Word was with God. The Word was God. Who do you think the Spirit was that hovered over the earth with God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? It's Christ. You see, we can't separate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Tracy's a wife, she's a mother, and she's a daughter. Those are three different functions of one individual. You can't separate that. So the Word of God is Christ. God's Word's been acted from the beginning. There's power in the Word of God. There's power in the truths of God's Word in an Old Testament. Now, what I would say to you is this. Stuff like, let's take David. As the deer pant for the water brook, so my soul longeth after you. Okay, my soul doesn't long after him. My soul has been born again the moment that I received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I'm not longing after him. I've received him. I have a desire to gain a greater revelation of who he is. Or what about in Isaiah? No, no, I'm sorry. It's a, Yeah, I think it's Isaiah 55 or 51, somewhere around in there. Um, seek the Lord while he can be found. Well, we're not trying to hurry up and seek him while he can be found. He's not lost. That's what we started with. You know, we're not looking for Waldo. He's not hiding behind the curtains and all you can see is his feet. And you know that's where he is. 
like that picture on Facebook. <laughs> We're not looking for him. If you're born again, you found him. So it doesn't mean that every scripture in the Old Testament is relevant for today or applies to you. Keep in mind, in the Old Testament, they were not full of the Holy Spirit. They were declaring and decreeing and prophesying of the Messiah to come. All right? So they were not walking in the fullness of God. They didn't have the inheritance of God dwelling within them. So it doesn't mean that every scripture in the Old Testament is relevant and pertinent to your spiritual life, especially if it denies what Christ has already done. If they're crying out for something that you've already received in Christ now that you've received Him as Lord and Savior and He's been born into the earth, then you don't go back and read that psalm or that Proverbs, but at the same time, if it's pertinent and if it's relevant and in the midst of Christ and you, the hope of glory, we can draw from the truths of an Old Testament, then most certainly we must do that. Is that good? Is that, does that make sense? Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16 and this is a New Testament scripture, but it speaks of the Old Testament. All right? 2 Timothy 3.16 speaks of the Old Testament because at that point in time, the New Testament church only had the 39 books of the Old Testament, which was basically the Septuagint. So when Timothy writes, all scripture is inspired by God, he is saying the 39 books of an Old Testament or the 39 books of the Septuagint is inspired by God. Genesis through Malachi is inspired by God because the writings of Paul had not been written yet. There wasn't a Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. That hadn't been written yet. So when we read, what they're saying is the 39 books is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We fall into grave error when we throw out the Old Testament. Alright, does that make sense? The Old Testament is not the Old Covenant. The Old Testament is a time period that had a beginning and it had an end. Alright? It began in Genesis. It ended in Malachi. It was a time period that testified or gave testimony of the Messiah to come. And the New Testament is a time period. It has a beginning and it has an end. Well, Paul, if the New Testament began in the book of Matthew, when does it end? In the book of Revelation. It ends when Christ returns. The New Testament ends when Christ physically returns on the final day. Scripture says in Corinthians chapter 15, talks about when the dead in Christ will rise first, then those alive will join up to meet Him in the air. Then there'll be the, the throne judgment. And that only takes place after you and I have done what we were created to do, causing the enemies of our Lord to become a footstool for His feet. You see, you're already a spotless bride. We just don't know it yet. He's not coming back until He has a spotless bride. It's a bride that knows who she is, that has already stood up in this earth and confronted injustice with justice has already caused the knowledge of God's glory to cover this earth as the waters cover the sea, which is completely. If you're waiting on Christ to return in a year or two from now, you will be sadly mistaken. Scripture doesn't even teach that. It doesn't. There's no place in Scripture that teaches that. 
Scripture says that Jesus must wait, reign in the heavens until his enemies have been made his footstool. Now, how does that fit in with our eschatology that says that the world's going to get worse and our enemies are going to get worse and worse and worse? doesn't sound like we're making him a footstool for his feet. So we got a contradiction. How is he going to come back and escape us out of here if Scripture says he can't leave the heavens until his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet? <laughs> I don't know. Tonight is very interesting. Let's talk about a relevance of the Old Testament. All right, Here's one. I quoted it earlier. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity or hostility between you, which is Satan, and the woman, which is Mary, prophesying. And between your seed, the enemy's seed, which is sin and death, and her seed, Mary, her seed, which is Christ, spirit and life, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So let me read it to you without the interjections. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Galatians 4.4 4 is the fulfillment of that scripture. It says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. What did it say in Genesis? In Genesis it says, And the woman's seed. And it says here, when the time of fulfillment came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, singular, born under the law. Sure. That's why I love the Old Testament. Because you read about the Messianic promises, and then you can read in the New and see it fulfilled. Faith come by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I read the Old Testament, and faith is building up inside of me. And then I read the New, and I see it fulfilled, and I say, Man, this stuff is true. I can put my life on it. It's awesome. Look at this one. Genesis 22.17. 22.17 says, Indeed I will greatly, this is the Lord talking to Abraham, Indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashores. And your seed, singular, shall possess the gates of their enemies. This is God speaking to Abraham before the Mosaic Covenant. And then in Galatians 3.16, it says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather the one, and to your seed, which is Christ Jesus. Sure. In Exodus chapter 12, we hear about the Passover lamb that Israel had to eat and put into their stomach. It said, eat all of it. If you can't eat it all, then invite families over, but, but don't waste anything. Put the whole lamb in you. And take the blood, the, the, the hyssop, and put it over the doorposts. So when the death angel comes by, he will know that you've partaken of the Passover meal. What does it say in Corinthians? Corinthians 5, 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened for Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. The Word of God is rich with truth. Our inheritance, but also our inheritance is rich in the kingdom. Listen, we're new covenant believers. We live in a new and better covenant with better promises. But it doesn't mean that we take our, 
our heritage and we throw it out, our spiritual heritage. You know, some people see the Bible as nothing more than 66 books of random events and records of things that happened over a 6,000-year period of time. I don't. I see it as a covenantal journey of God's love, of restoration from the very moment that Adam took from the fruit. Even before that, it was, a, it was a journey of love. Do you know why? Because God loved us so much that He put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And He said, Adam, surely as you partake of this tree, you will die. You see, if you don't give someone the choice, then you don't really love them. God loved His creation so much, He gave us a choice by placing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil smack dab in the middle of the garden for Adam and Eve to be disobedient. That's the love of God. You know, all throughout the Word of God in, in Psalms, the book of Psalms, there's messianic promises. Psalms 2 talks about the reign of the Lord's anointed. Psalms 8 reveals Christ as the ideal man. Psalm 16 speaks of the resurrection of Christ. Psalms 22 describes the great detail, the death of Christ. Psalms 23 reveals Christ as the good shepherd. Psalms 45 celebrates the marriage of the king. Psalm 72 speaks of the reign of the Messiah. Psalms 89 is the Lord's covenant with David, his greater son. The Lord says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Right now, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, is seated on David's throne in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father. And if you are in Christ, that's where you sit in the Spirit. We learned about that on Sunday here at Harvest Family. Sure. Psalms 110, we learn how He's the Messiah as the king and the priest, as he comes in the order of Melchizedek. And we'll teach about that, but Melchizedek was both king and priest. And God compares Jesus to Melchizedek. Psalms 118, he was the stone the builders rejected. Guys, this is, this is Old Testament that's fulfilled in the New. Psalms 132, David's throne will reign forever. The throne of David is the throne of Christ. Then we got in Isaiah, Messianic promises. Isaiah 7, the virgin birth of Christ. In the establishment of His kingdom, the Word of God says to the, to the increase of His government and His peace, there will be no end. That government and peace is the kingdom of God. To the increase of the reign, the rule, and the authority of Christ the King, there shall be no end. Don't tell me there's an antichrist waiting to raise his head, going to deceive the Christians. No, no man does not, no man can deceive you. You've been given the mind of Christ. The Word of God says, Know no man after the flesh, but know him by the Spirit. Believers cannot be deceived. The kingdom of God is not waiting to come. The kingdom of God came with the King. When Jesus was birthed in the earth, so the kingdom was birthed in the earth. And the kingdom was poured out into the church on Pentecost when God poured His Spirit out on all flesh, fulfilling Joel chapter 2, 28. We have to arm ourselves with the Word of God. We can't believe and swallow hook, line, and sinker everything that we're taught. We have to know the truth of God's Word because it's only the truth of God's Word that will make you free. Sure. So quickly, the New Testament began with the birth of Christ. So we had the Old Testament, went from Genesis to Malachi. The New Testament began in Matthew and it goes all the way to the end of time. 
when Jesus returns a second time physically in bodily form. But it began with the birth of Christ. And the New Testament is testifying of the Christ who has already come. This is, this is awesome. John the Baptist was an old covenant prophet, though living in a New Testament. John prophesied the coming of Jesus and declared his arrival. He was the only prophet to be able to prophesy and declare Jesus to come and then say, here is the one whose thongs of his sandals I'm not even worthy to latch. So he declared the coming of the Lord and then he actually ushered in the coming of the Lord. The Word of God says, and I'm paraphrasing now, I'm moving quickly because I've got three more minutes. The Word of God says that there's no one greater than John the Baptist in all of the Bible. Listen to me. No one. Not David. Not Ezekiel. Not Isaiah. Not Jeremiah. There was no one greater than John the Baptist. That's what my Bible says. That's what your Bible says. Listen to this. I say to you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Every single person in this room, at the sound of my voice, is greater than John the Baptist. You're greater than Isaiah. You're greater than Ezekiel. You're greater than Jeremiah. You see, John the Baptist was the greatest among all the prophets because he was able to prophesy the coming Messiah and lived to declare and witness the fulfillment of the promised son of David and the son of Abraham, which all the prophets of old longed. They declared his coming, but they didn't usher him in. They didn't see the fulfillment. John the Baptist didn't even live under a new covenant. It was... John the Baptist was living in the New Testament but under an old covenant because the new covenant wasn't established, it says in Luke 20, 21, until Christ went to the cross and spilt His blood. Hebrews 11.3, and we'll end with this. Hebrews 11.3 says this, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They lived without receiving the promises. What promise did all of the others live without that makes John the Baptist greater than all? They lived without the types and the shadows. All the types and shadows, all the prophetic utterances of an Old Testament that spoke of the one to come, the anointed king, the seed of Mary, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, who presently now sits on David's throne, ruling and reigning over his kingdom within the hearts of his sons and daughters, and to the increase of his government and peace, which is the kingdom, there shall be no end. They didn't experience that. They didn't experience seeing the Messiah and the King. But John the Baptist did. He was the greatest of all prophets. He was actually, in some ways, he was considered a picture of the Old Testament and the New, because not only did he declare the Messiah to come. He was able to declare the Messiah that had already come. As your host, Paul Graves, I want to thank you for listening to Spiritual Mythbusters. If you like what you've heard, then once again, visit us at BibleToLife.net. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot net and click on Resources. 
to access our BTL Kingdom blog, sermons, and bookstore. So until next week, always remember, if you want to see the glory of God, then you must release God's glory.